Welcome to ALC's Sermon of the Week podcast. In this week's episode, Pastor Jared Pollard gives a message on forgiveness. This morning, I have the privilege of teaching on a very easily received and joyous topic. Are you guys ready? Oh, yeah, that's right, says the person who assigned me this sermon. So um, (laughs) we get to talk about forgiveness today. Everybody say forgiveness. Hey, there were some happy voices in there. Let's do that one more time and let's sound excited about it. Say forgiveness. Forgiveness. Awesome. We love forgiveness at Abundant Life Church. Amen? Amen. It's a big deal. Uh, It is part of our culture to have forgiveness. And that's difficult because right now, I think we all would agree, the American culture kind of has a culture of unforgiveness. I think, you know, of course COVID is dangerous, of course the disease is dangerous, but I think one of the bigger dangers that we have had to experience during this time is the polarization of uh, opinions and standings, whether they're political or social, and there's this idea going around that if you don't fully agree with me 100%, I cannot have any type of fellowship with you. And not, not just no fellowship, I hate you. And that sounds strong, but if you watch the news for all of five minutes, you can see the hate that has taken place in those. Um, and unfortunately, I think it's also worked its way into the church. There are leaders that I used to respect, and I still respect them a lot, who have taken risks in a dangerous way in the direction of unforgiveness. We are not immune to this issue. Everybody point at yourself. I know this is weird. I make people do this all the time. Say, I am not immune immune to this issue. issue. I am not immune immune to unforgiveness. unforgiveness. It sounds silly, but none of us are immune to this issue. And the second you feel like, oh, I've got it. I've got it figured out. A lot of the times that's the next step where you're going to stumble. Because you, you, you become unaware of it. You're, you're no longer thinking about those types of things. Um, when you guys think of unforgiveness, what is the passage? Anybody, I'm going to have some interaction this morning. Anybody have a passage that comes to mind for unforgiveness? Matthew 18, okay. But what part of Matthew 18? Everybody thinks, I'll answer the question. Uh, everybody thinks about the unforgiving servant, the unmerciful servant. And, you know, that's great. It's a good warning. You know, you need to forgive, otherwise your sins will not be forgiven. That's difficult. That's hard to comprehend. But really, what I want to focus on this morning is the passage before. I think this is not just... Let me rephrase that. A lot of us look at Matthew 18, and we see this is the biblical example of how to confront sin. Was anybody taught Matthew 18 that way? That's, That's how I was taught. Is it true for that? Yes. Everybody say yes. Okay, it's true for that. I also think another way to say that is this is the path to walking out forgiveness. Right, yes. This is the path to walking out forgiveness. It's not just a, ha ha, you messed up and we've got all these steps that we're going to make you through until you admit that you were wrong and then it can all be good because what I believed was right to begin with, right? Mm -hmm. Has anybody ever taken place in church discipline that's felt that way? I've, it's happened before to me, okay? So there's that thought process that happens into it. But that is not what Scripture teaches. That is just bad human experience. So we can't attach bad human experience to where we're going. Agreed? Yes. 
Okay, so now that we're talking about this easily received happy, joyous topic this morning, um, we're going to keep on in this direction of trying to understand what is Jesus telling us in Matthew 18 that is not just a, this is how you do church discipline, this is how you confront sin, uh, this is how you do family discipline, this is how we as an individual walk out forgiveness. Raise your hand, everybody. See some sleepy faces today. Say, I I want want to walk out forgiveness. I want to live in forgiveness. And let me clear this up, okay? This is not Jared talking. This is the scripture talking here for a moment. This is not not me saying you really need to forgive and these are the benefits for why you need to forgive. It's not a, a suggestion. It is a you must forgive. If you look in scripture, in Colossians chapter 3, and I'm just going to read these really fast, it says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Mm -hmm. Not should forgive, not could forgive, must forgive. If you look in Matthew chapter 6, if you forget, or excuse me, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And that's great, right? That's where the verse, isn't that where the verse ends? No, it doesn't. Okay. And then it says, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I struggled with that verse for a long time. What on earth does that mean? I have a personal responsibility. In this situation, I have a weight that I'm supposed to carry. There is this, this, and maybe it's my generation, maybe a little bit before, the idea that we were taught the unconditional love of God. Is there unconditional love? Everybody say yes, okay? But within that love, a better word might be covenant. And with the covenant, there are boundaries. Pastor John spoke on boundaries a few weeks ago. Freedom is found in knowing the boundaries, And so there are these boundaries in place that we are given. And I think the biggest boundary that the church and that uh, our culture has crossed is the barrier of unforgiveness. Mm -hmm. We've crossed that boundary over and over again, so much so that it has become prevalent in everything that we do. So now that I've set up this very happy scene, um, let's, let's talk about how this becomes practical, how this becomes real. And I want to establish one thing here at the beginning. If you look at Matthew 18, you start in verse 18 of chapter 18. It says this, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall already be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. For a long time, I did not understand why on earth are we talking about this in the middle of a passage on forgiveness. It's great. You know, we're going along. If you look at Matthew 18, it's this progression of forgiveness that's getting there. And then there's this statement that's stuck right in the middle of it. And I think a lot of the times we'll pluck this passage and we'll use it for other purposes that I think are correct. But what this passage really is doing is not just giving us a general promise. It is establishing a standard. 
It is establishing what we're going to call this morning an agreement. Everybody say an agreement. agreement. Where's Rusty at? Rusty, you back there? What happens when somebody violates a legal agreement? You get sued, okay? So you violate that legal agreement, and then there are repercussions for that agreement. And what is the whole judicial process about, Rusty? It's about getting those people to agree to the agreement, right? It's all about, hey, this was the standard, and you crossed that standard, and this is where you need to be. This is what was established and what you agreed to, and now we need to get to this point. You're over here, you need to get back over to the agreement. This whole topic that we're talking about this morning, I want to angle in a few different ways, but first I want to talk about in our family, okay? Everybody say, I love my family. family. Who has difficult family members? Anyone? A few difficult, no, not me, shouldn't, nah. Everybody has some difficult family members. I want you to say it with all you have, I love my family. Think about that person real quick. Say, I love my family. family. That's right. We love them because there is a covenant, there is an agreement that is made that is by blood, right? Sometimes not by blood. Sometimes people can be adopted in. But within that family, a lot of times, there is an agreement. I remember when I was a kid, there was for sure an agreement on what was acceptable behavior in public places. Um, And all my dad had to say was he would bend down and he'd say, do we need to visit the restroom? And I knew in that moment that I had violated the agreement. I might not have fully understood what I violated, but I knew that somewhere I had violated the agreement. It had happened. It had taken place. And my older brother was a lot more stubborn than I was, and so I uh, got to learn what the repercussions for that violation were before I ever had to experience them. So that happens in that parent-child relationship. There's also uh, the sibling relationship, okay? I learned from my brother not to do that. Um, But my parents, when we violated the agreement towards each other, I have this vivid memory of my mom making me kiss my sister on the cheek, hug her for 30 seconds, and then we had to sit on the same couch cushion. And you would have thought that we were being tortured But really what it came down to was we had violated the agreement. We had violated the standard that was put in place. I'm married now. My beautiful wife is here on the front row. Uh, That's right. She's the awesome, awesome woman who is leading us in worship. She's amazing. She hates it when I embarrass her like this. So I'll move on. She'll have to forgive me later. Um, And so there are other things that Natalie has had to forgive me for. I had a good time thinking about some of the things that Natalie has had to forgive me for. Um, and Pastor Ben and Pastor Holly as well. So, uh, for instance, in college, while Natalie and I were dating, we were walking in Dunnigan Park in Bolivar. Any SBU grads know where Dunnigan is? And so we're walking through, and she challenges me to get on the teeter-totter. And I did not want to get on the teeter-totter, but she talked me into it, and so we get on there, and I'm being really nice and gentle, and she starts taunting me. And she... (laughs) (laughs) she's making fun of me and she's taunting me and all it took was one time I didn't catch myself on the way down and I probably launched her three or four feet in the air and so much so that her body came up so fast that she couldn't hold on to the handlebars she fell forward hit her head on the metal pipe in the middle and flipped over on her back and just laid there smiling I thought 
I thought everything was okay. What happened was I gave my girlfriend a concussion. Um, so she forgave me. I'm not sure she remembers most of that instance. Um, but she, she forgave me. And then Pastor Ben and Holly had to forgive me for the medical bills that I incurred. So um, we remember those. They, they remember. That's right. That's right. So she had to forgive me for that. Uh, when we were first married, uh, we didn't have, uh, maybe we had one TV. Did we have a TV yet? We had a TV, but I, she uh, had to go to bed really early so she could get up and go to work, and I didn't have to work the next day. So I'm watching Netflix on my iPad in bed, which is fine. I was just watching, I had my headphones in, and I start to doze off, and then I hear her yell, Ow! And what had happened is, with my breathing, the iPad had flipped forward and fallen right on her face. <laughs> and you wouldn't think that they're very heavy, but iPads are pretty heavy. Um, and that wasn't just the problem. It's that I apologized, and then about three minutes later, it happened again. And it, I think from that point forward, we weren't allowed to have uh, iPads in bed, because it was, it was a danger, it was a hazard to her. So... Um, she also has to forgive me for playing music 24-7. Um, she has to tell me a lot of the times, put the guitar down. Because I can have a full-fledged conversation and not even be thinking about what my hands are doing, and it's very distracting to other people. So there are just things that she's had to learn to forgive me in that I didn't even know were a big deal, except for the concussion. I knew the concussion was a big deal. Um, but she's had to learn to forgive me, and it was all based on an agreement, we had a standard that we established, so much so that I looked up, I, had a, I found a copy of my wedding vows that I read to her that were the standard that we established. I'm going to read them right now. And it says this, Natalie, you are the love of my life. No one else on this earth can compare to your beauty. You have given me the purest kindness, gentleness, joy, and above all else, love. And I know that you will always give that love to me, even when I am unlovely. Because of your dedication to me, I vow to you that I will love you with all my being, and I will sacrifice all of my life for you. I promise to be your faithful partner in life. I take you, Natalie, to be my wife and best friend, to have and to hold through the best and worst times, for richer or for poorer, for sickness or health, before God, our family, and our friends, and you guys today. I vow to cherish you without ceasing until death do us part." That is the agreement that I made. That's the agreement that we made. And in that agreement, when I say I am committed, even though it wasn't explicit, the words that I was saying are, I am committed to forgive you for the rest of my life. Yes. A strong marriage is not one where you, are, you never have any issues and you never have to forgive that person. A strong marriage is a relationship between two people where it's not even a second thought to forgive. It's an immediate response. Yes. Because we're, we're fleshly. We have things in us that we aren't always aware of. Natalie and I learned very early that if I have had not had lunch, that it is not a good time to have a serious conversation. <laughs> because I get hangry. Anybody else get hangry? Anyone? I get hangry. And, and she knows now. Uh, I kind of It's like Joey and friends. You hand him a sub sandwich and then you tell him bad news. It's this, you know... <laughs> It's that idea that everything is going to process better if I've had food to that point, okay? But there was an agreement that was made. What I want to do, you know, I'm giving you examples of agreements in my own life that were 
that were established. What I want to refer to now, if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, in verses 4 through 9, and I'm sorry, I don't think this is on the screen. This was, this was just something that came to me uh, as I was praying about the service yesterday. That this is really, I think, the standard that Jesus was calling the church to and the Jewish people to at that time. And it said this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What if everywhere you went, forgiveness was written? What if we had forgiveness written on our hand? What if when people come over, when the youth come over to our house for youth group, above the doorpost it said forgiveness? What if that was the focus of everything that we had? Because when you think about the love that God has for us, it is epitomized in the sacrifice that Jesus made for each of us in forgiving our sins. Forgiveness is the culture of the kingdom. Forgiveness is the culture of a godly family. But it's a big struggle, right? Who has ever had to forgive a spouse or that difficult family member that we talked about earlier, right? We've all had to forgive. We've all had to speak that out. And even during these times, I mean, I almost hate to mention this. Uh, Pastor Ben assigned me to watch the debates from this past week. Assigned me. Uh, I heard enough about them that I wasn't going to watch them because thinking about them upset me, let alone having to watch them. It's like at the beginning of COVID, he gave me the assignment of watching 30 minutes of news a day, just so that I could stay up to It's like the worst assignments in the world. So I know everybody got quiet because I said something about the debates. When you think about it, though, this is really what, what I'm trying to say here. If there was any word that would describe the debates that, w- that went on on Tuesday night or Monday night, whatever night it was, it would be unforgiveness. And it's a representation of where we are as a nation right now. Unforgiveness. What if we decided today that forgiveness was the path forward? Right now. That was the way that we moved forward. I'm running out of time. I'm telling too many stories. So this is what, this is what uh, I want us to think about today. Forgiveness is not a lack of recognition of what was done for you. Or what, what was done to you, excuse me. It is not a lack of recognition. Forgiveness is recognizing the offense and choosing to love that person more than what they did to you. Yes. I have had people hurt me deeply. But I know that I do not have even the right to hold unforgiveness towards those people. Because when I do that, I am in violation of the culture of the kingdom. And that I myself am out, outside of the agreement that I made. Since when would we let somebody else's mistake remove us from the covenant that God has made with us? That's what unforgiveness does. That's how, that's how sneaky it is. That's how I even hate to say powerful it is. But it will knock you out of that agreement that you have with God. So all of that to say, today I want to give us four steps for walking out forgiveness. Everybody say four steps. Four steps. To walk out forgiforgiveness. Here we go. We're going to start in verse 15, and it's simple. 
and it's straightforward. Talk to your brother or sister. Talk to them. Remember, it's not a lack of recognition of what they've done for you. It is recognizing that and then choosing to forgive them before you even talk to them. But it is appropriate to talk to them. It's appropriate to point it out. It says right here in verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. If someone has offended you to the point that you are even tempted to hold unforgiveness towards them, you need to talk to them. Scripture doesn't say, when somebody does something wrong to you, forget about it and act like nothing happened. It doesn't say that. It says, talk to them, and if he listens to you, if they listen to you, you have gained your brother or sister back. Because what it demonstrates, it's not me going to them and telling them all the things that they've done wrong. It's me going to them and saying, hey, what you did really hurt me. But I want you to know that I love you more than the hurt that you caused me. And, I, and more than anything, it's almost more on you in that moment to make sure that you are living in that forgiveness for them to know. Confront with humility, respond with humility. Everybody say confront, confront. With, humility. with humility. Say respond. With humility. If you're talking to somebody, be humble about it. If somebody's giving you a talking to, be humble about it. Whether they're humble or not, it's not dependent on how you react. It says in Galatians chapter 6, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. What it's saying is that we need to make sure that we are so living out forgiveness that that is what we are known for. Not known for, well, this person did this really bad thing to me. And that becomes the defining factor of your life. That's not what it's calling us to do. We have to learn to carry our own load. And when you carry your own load, it it should be forgiveness. That should be the focus, forgiveness. Don't be passive, okay? This is the, I'm writing this part to myself. Don't be passive, this only leads to a deeper offense. Because passivity, let me define it for anybody who doesn't struggle with it. So passivity is not, you know, oh, I'm going to forget about this person. Passivity is every time I see that person, the same emotion comes up, but I never deal with it. That is passivity. Don't be passive. Talk to that person. Natalie and I do this in our marriage all the time. If there's anything about my wife that I love, it is that she is blunt. If you've ever had a conversation with her, you know how she thinks, you know how she believes, because that's what comes out of her mouth. Am I right? You're right. <laughs> Other people are confirming that. Okay, so, and it's wonderful. Sorry, guys, um, if you have to, like, work at picking up hints, I don't have to worry about that. Natalie tells me what she thinks. And so, but it's wonderful because I, my natural inclination is to be passive, and Natalie, Natalie's natural inclination, not in a bad way, is to be confrontational because she wants to deal with the issue that is there right now. And she wants to get it out. She wants to get rid of it. It's a beautiful thing that my wife has the courage and the strength enough to tell me when I'm doing something stupid. 
It is beautiful, that's right. Praise the Lord. Okay, so it's a beautiful thing. There are a lot of marriages where the spouses don't feel the freedom to talk to each other when something is wrong. And it's not what Scripture teaches, and it's not what God wants for you in your marriage. Now, listen to me. I'm not telling you to go home and have a screaming match with your spouse. What I'm telling you is when something happens, Natalie and I have learned through trial and error how to humbly come before each other and say, hey, I don't even think this was intentional, but what you did hurt me. And I don't want this hurt to be something that defines our relationship moving forward. It's the same thing in relation to kids. You have to learn how to relate to your kids in a way where you are not constantly reestablishing an offense because of the way that you relate to that child. And that's difficult. It doesn't mean you don't correct your kid. You need to correct them. But you need to show them how to correct in humility. And kids, youth that are in here, sometimes humility is yelling because uh, sometimes parents really have a hard time confronting the issues that are going on in your life. It's not a bad thing if your parents yell at you, okay? <laughs> they love you, and they're trying to correct you. So once you get past this, once you get past this idea, I'm, never, I'm no longer going to sweep things under the rug. I'm going to talk to somebody when I have an offense. If they do not respond, has anybody ever had that conversation and the person doesn't respond? Yeah. I've, had the, I've had those conversations. They're not fun. But it doesn't say, be upset and offended at that person that they were offended that you were offended. It says, <laughs> get a, it doesn't say to just bury it down then. It says, bring a witness. Bring a witness. We had a youth this week that shall remain nameless. He, let me make sure I don't use gender specific. Okay, that person knows who they are, and I'm going to embarrass them a little bit. So they... Uh, had a, a slight attitude problem. And it's okay. I love this. I love this youth. But they were not responding to me. So I brought in the parent as a witness. And let me tell you, it was pretty effective. Okay. Now, was I trying to be spiteful? Was I trying to be controlling? No. I love that kid so much. And I want them to know that real anointing in their life is going to happen from living within the agreement, from living within the covenant not from rebelling against it. And so when I'm bringing that witness, it's not to be spiteful, it's not to be overly authoritative or correctional, it's to say, you're not meeting the standard and you're not listening to me, but maybe you'll listen to them. And you know what? If that continues, there's steps after that. I won't jump ahead. Okay, so, um, sorry, I get excited and I want to go, go fast like Ricky Bobby. Okay, so, half of you get that joke. I once convinced, I'm not proud of this, I once convinced my wife that Talladega Nights was an inspirational sports movie. <laughs> it only took about 10 minutes before she was very upset in realizing that I might have fibbed to her. But she forgave me, so it was great. All right. So you bring that witness. It, what it does is it removes the ability for the rumor weed to take in place. It removes the ability for the offense to get deeper because you can talk to that person and that person's going to be like, you know what, that's right. And you know, I really care for that person. And I w I'll, I'll go with you. I'll go with you to talk to that person. And let's see if we can't get them to see where they've crossed the line. And when two people come in humility, I don't know if you guys have ever been confronted by somebody and their witness. It is pretty uh, impactful. 
when you're like, man, I didn't just offend that person. This really is a big deal. And it, it shows the person that you're confronting, the child, the spouse, whatever, whatever relationship that is, it shows them you love them so much that you're willing to go that far. Because it's hard. It is not easy. It removes the opportunity for the rumor weed to take over because its seed is that initial unforgiveness and then its fertilizer is false narrative. Because as you continue on and that offense starts to grow a little bit deeper, you kind of start constrapulating the story around it and you start making stuff up. Because the offense is deep to you and you start assigning emotions to actions that weren't actually true. You start painting a slightly different picture and it gets darker and darker and darker and darker. The witness removes that ability. Remember the standard in the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and uh, strength, I think. There's so many different ones. Anyway, so as we continue, it pushes towards Matthew 22, which is what Jesus is reminding the Jewish people when they say, what is the greatest commandment? And, he's, and I kind of think Jesus is a little sarcastic. And he, I think he looks at them and he's like, well, don't you guys know? It's supposed to be on your doorpost and on your hand and on your earrings and your frontlets and all these different things. He's like, don't you know to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, whatever is included in that verse. And then he goes on to say, and love your neighbor as yourself. Because out of that love is where change begins to happen. So this happens again. Uh, when, when I was a kid, the witness a lot of the times was my parent, like, it, like I used in the example. And it always resulted in the, do we need to visit the restroom? And that was, my mom would say, wait until your dad gets home. Ouch. I, didn't let, I only did that a couple of times. My brother did that a lot more. At least in my memory, uh, he did that a lot more. Um, maybe I'm making that up. Maybe I have offense towards my brother. I forgive Jacob in Jesus' name. Okay. So if the witness doesn't work, then you bring an assembly. You've taken it a step farther. Has anybody ever been a part of a family meeting where a confrontation has taken place? Anybody? Oh, yeah. Good times, right? Wonderful. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. This is so hard. If the person who is offended lets it go this far and they still are not responding, let them be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. If they are so set in their ways that they will not respond even to this, you have to release them. This is hurtful in a church context. This is hurtful in a family context. This is hurtful in a marriage context. If they refuse to listen, tell it to the church, and if he refuses to listen, even to the church or to the assembly, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. If they, at that point, still do not recognize the gravity of their situation, it is out of your hands. It is out of your power. Because all that is going to be instilled after that fact is more unforgiveness and more offense. Because it's truly out of your control. I think this is the most difficult part of this passage. To be able to get to that point and have humility in your relationship with God to say, God, I cannot fix this. I do not have the power to fix this. My dad and I have had this conversation, so I feel like I can share this here. Um, when Natalie and I were getting engaged, we were rather young. 
Um, we were uh, 19 or 20 when we got engaged, and then we were 20 when we got married. And so I had a lot of hoops that I jumped through with my father because it was important to me that I had my parents' blessing. And, you know, at the time, I felt like it was so unfair. How dare he do all this stuff? We've got a word from God that this is where we're supposed to go. Why on earth is he pulling back the reins? And, you know, I, I was really offended in this time and, and how I was interacting with my dad. And uh, I had confirmation in all three of these levels. I had, between Natalie and I, we had an agreement. We had witnesses that were agreements. We had a church family that was in agreement. But my dad still was not. And so we were dealing with this. And um, one of the verses that God uh, had been speaking to me through was Mark eleven twenty four. And if you ask anything in my name, then it will be given to you. Great verse, right? Awesome. Beautiful. Except that this is a parallel um, to uh, statements that Jesus made after the Lord's Prayer and in other areas. But if one has unforgiveness in their heart, then the, the Father above will also not forgive them. I didn't realize that I had such a seed of unforgiveness towards my dad in that moment. And honestly, he had really done nothing wrong except for challenge me and ask me to go deeper. But it was my issue that was propelling it deeper into that area. And you know, when I released that offense, that's when he gave his blessing. I didn't tell my dad that I released the offense. But when I released the offense, that's when his blessing came forth. That's how powerful and sneaky unforgiveness can be in those situations. Because what I was doing was correct. It was right. It was the path that God was trying to lead me down but I was getting in the way. And it took it going that far for me to realize my issue. So I've been on the other end of this. I've been on the other end of the unforgiveness and even the, the sin for me in, in, not, in not releasing those things to my dad. But this is, this is what you guys have to remember. Say, and I think many people in this room probably have been to this point. You get through all of these things. This is what I need you to remember. Your forgiveness is not dependent on their repentance. Your forgiveness is not dependent on their repentance. We have to get to that point because this is what gets us to this last point. You go through all of these things. You go through the steps. Maybe it works. I pray that it works. I've been in situations where it has worked. But I've also been in part of situations where it hasn't worked. You have to make this transition. You have to love them unconditionally. Your love and your forgiveness for that person is not dependent upon their repentance. It doesn't mean that your relationship has to continue in that direction, that you want it to go, that you desperately desire it to go. It means that you have to forgive them whether they're ready or not to move forward. says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss, the, with the love of God the Father, or excuse me, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Who here has a family member who is in this situation? where they have offended. I'm, I'm just going to be really blunt. You have a family member, maybe they're distant, maybe they're close, that they are in a position of they need to be confronted. Does anybody have somebody like that? I've got some people like that in my family. They need that. 
This is, this is how you do it. This is something that Pastor Larry taught us uh, in Pastors University, and he calls this the Trinity Prayer. If you get nothing out of today, I want you to write this down right now. This is the Trinity Prayer. And the whole goal is listed right here in the front end of this. Brothers rejoice, aim for restoration. Everybody say aim, aim. for restoration. So we've got forgiveness posted on our forehead, posted on our doorpost, tattooed on our hands, whatever it takes. So we've got forgiveness there, and it's all with the aim of restoration. Yes. So we'll start with this. Everybody say number one. Number one. The love of God the Father. There is nothing that you can do that that person can do that will remove them from the love of God. Now, their actions might be removing them from the covering of God. But they are not removed from the love of God. And what you can do in that position is you can rely on God to show that person unconditional love. And there is so much peace in that moment. I can rely on God to show my wayward child unconditional love my spouse, unconditional love. Whatever it takes, they can receive that love. This is one of the biggest things that God has done with me is it always comes down to a question of, Jared, do you love me? And then he reminds me how much he loves me. And that is powerful. If that doesn't work, he gives you another step. The grace of Jesus Christ. Extend the same grace that was extended to you through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross forgiveness without the requirement of repentance. Now let me clarify that. Jesus has forgiven everyone their sins. But it is upon us as a personal, a personal choice whether we are going to receive that forgiveness. There's a free gift. And just because your spouse or your wayward child or your cousin or your close family member or your close friend or your church family member, whoever they are, just because they have done something wrong does not remove them from the opportunity to receive that free gift from Jesus. And then finally, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Pray that the Holy Spirit would step in and work in a way that only he can work. Billy Graham is famous for saying, I am not called to, uh, to correct people and to convict people and to condemn people. I'm called to love people. It's the Holy Spirit's job to do the rest of that. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week podcast. Sermons are live casted every Sunday, 10 a.m. Central, on Facebook and YouTube. Find out more about us by visiting our Facebook page or visiting our website at Abundant.us.